welcome to Recess Tonight. I am Rob. Hey, it's Alan over here, y'all. So we're going to continue with our COVID series um, in this uh, unprecedented time to bring you some short um, podcasts that uh, hit some important topics. So today we're actually revisiting one kind of half and then expanding upon it. And the first kind of piece is, is actually back to PPE because... If you haven't noticed on Twitter or everywhere else, that's exactly where everything that seems to be crazy is happening right now. So let's address a couple of the crazy things out there. First of all, what's up with this mask situation, dude? And am I supposed to just grab a bandana and throw it uh, around my face? Like, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> like uh, John Wayne? Is that what you're referencing? You're showing your age. <laughs> Okay, so before we jump into the mask discussion, uh, and with anything COVID-19, this is rapidly evolving. So that's the biggest takeaway from this podcast is make sure you read the, the science and read the data that's informing the opinion or the recommendation. That's by far is the most important. And that includes this podcast. So one of the things that's trending most in the Twitter world right now is the CDC's recommendation for wearing bandanas or homemade masks. I encourage all of our listeners to go back to the source of where this recommendation came from. And it can be found at cdc.gov coronavirus. And then uh, it's under the um, heading of strategies for optimizing the supply of face masks. Let me be clear here. This guideline here mentions three different levels of surge capacity. And the bandana uh, recommendation is the most bottom last line of resort under crisis capacity, meaning that should all sources of mask and PPE uh, be depleted, then it may be reasonable to use a bandana or scarf to care for patients with COVID-19 as a last resort. We're talking Walking Dead style or the apocalypse. Okay, so essentially you're telling me the not just that the proverbial shit has hit the fan, but literally it has hit the fan and it's just gone absolutely everywhere. And that's when we are getting to that point. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Because uh, it's it's clearly says on the CDC website that in settings where face masks are not available, and this means that all of the supplies are depleted, that the healthcare provider might use a homemade mask for care of patients with COVID-19. They say that homemade masks are not considered PPE since their capability to protect the provider is unknown and that caution should be exercised. They're not saying wear a mask, they're saying use it as an absolute last resort. And that's kind of like a plan Z. You always have a plan A, B, and C, for example, when you have an intubation. For this pandemic, we have our plan A, B, and C. The mask is kind of saying, this is plan Z, and we're at a, in, in crisis mode. Okay, so I mean, if we think about that, it's, it is important to keep a level head about this. Don't get me wrong, this is unprecedented what's happening. And I'm sure that there are hospitals who are definitely in crisis, full crisis, where this is something that's happening. And don't get me wrong, if I was in that hospital, I would think, well, this is completely messed. And clearly, this is crazy. And I would be half losing my mind about it as well. But I think it's really important for those of us, you know, who are not hit by this quite heavily yet to hear that. And 
you know, no matter how many times we stomp our foot down and say, well, we have to have N95s, if there just aren't N95s, there just aren't N95s. That's right. And you you need to have a plan that you need to be planning for all of the potential events that may happen. And, and that may include uh, your plan Z. unfortunately. It's scary. I hope we do not need to go down that way. Now, uh, I think I speak for both of us, Rob, when I say this doesn't mean we give up advocating for more PPE. Hell no. 110, 140 billion percent. We should still be fighting for PPE. It is not reasonable for us to go without PPE. With that being said, I think it's also important for us to read the information in context. Okay, so um, this segues into the the trending topic of the aerosolization of uh, COVID nineteen in the air. Did you hear about that in the paper about how it like stays on cardboard, copper, etc., longer than we expected, Rob? Yeah, I think that was that New England Journal of Medicine. Um, wasn't it like an open letter to the editor or something like that? And it was dated March seventeenth, twenty twenty, and it's open access on the New England Journal of Medicine website. The media picked this up and it was a mass hysteria, mass frenzy. So I'm going to speak to what the actual data is and what pre-existing data that we had before it. How's that sound? Beautiful. It's very easy to read the paper, but be cautious. That is the author of the paper's take and summary of the original literature. So uh, if if you go to the website to pull up the paper, the money is not in the letter to the editor. The money is actually in the supplementary appendix and it's found in the second paragraph, third line. Click that and you will get the information of the methodology and the results. That is where the money's at. I won't summarize the paper here, but just recognize how they tested this and uh, how they came to their conclusions. So how the researcher um, performed this study was they put the COVID-19 virus in an aerosol can and sprayed it, and then they measured the time it remained in the air, and then they measured the time it remained on surfaces. That was in hopes of trying to mimic what it's like when someone coughs with uh, COVID-19 and see and to get an idea of how much it stays in the air and stays in the surfaces. See, the thing is, is this is not new. We've known that viruses such as influenza and coronaviruses actually uh, stay in the air and stay on surfaces. In 2018, in the Journal of Aerosol Science, there was a, an article titled uh, Survival of Aerosolized Coronavirus in the Ambient Air. And this was, it found similar results in the sense of how it spread in the air. The difference was that the uh, coronavirus that was tested in this 2018 study was that it wasn't COVID-19. So you can't draw the conclusion of how long it stays in the air or how long it stays on the surfaces. So what we can, how I interpret this uh, New England Journal paper is that this is hypothesis generating. We still don't know enough of the disease transmission. We know that it's virulent and that, that you are highly susceptible to it. Whether or not we should be drawing absolute sweeping recommendations from the paper remains to be seen. I think it's hypothesis generating. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because when you read a paper, it's very easy to um, put a paper into either it's 100% good or it's 100% bad category, right? And that, you know, binary black and white of like, this is a good paper, this is a bad paper, it, it just like in healthcare, there are not 100% good and not 100% bad procedures. Um, there are just 
massive pinwheels of gray on the the pieces that were good and pieces that weren't done as well and pieces that maybe are, are, are helpful and pieces that maybe aren't. And sure, COVID-19 patients are aerosolizing directly into the air and, you know, all the time, but there are times when there is potential aerosolization with using of NEBs and that type of thing, which I hope really isn't happening. So there are small amounts of things that can link up, but like you say, it's a hypothesis generating paper that's going to help us look at this from a critical lens as opposed to um, drawing massive sweeping policy changes. In emerging infectious diseases, uh, there was a research letter, uh, letter submitted by Jane Kai and all, and they essentially confirmed that SARS-CoV-2 acts similar to other uh, coronaviruses that we've had before. Now, in in this letter to the editor, they found that the they were tracing the um, cases throughout uh, Wenzhou, China, and they were seeing how people were infected, and they found that it was the fomite transmission in the community that's the greatest risk. So that's things like elevator buttons, rails, doorknobs. Those were the riskiest uh, sites where people uh, were picking up the disease. So it goes to show you just the importance of the of, of what we know works, which is good hand hygiene and um, preventing at in contact with your own mucous membranes. The last uh, paper that I just want to bring out about transmission, because this is all transmission PPE again, is that there was a paper submitted to the JAMA uh, back in March 4th, 2020. Uh, it was Again, this is a research letter, so this is only hypothesis generating. Um, but what they did was they looked at air surface environmental and personal protective equipment contamination by uh, COVID-19. Um, this was done in Singapore. They essentially had three patients. And I'll summarize the paper with my key points that, uh, that I think we should take home. What they did was they uh, put three patients in their own separate isolation rooms with negative pressure, and they did... Uh, swabbing to see if they could detect COVID-19. And interestingly enough, the place where they did not find COVID-19 was actually in the air, Rob. That's crazy when you start thinking about, you know, everything we've been hearing and, you know, let's be honest about the anxiety producing components of what of what we've been hearing about. And the key is this is hypothesis generating. So these patients were in negative pressure room. One hypothesis generated from this research letter is that negative pressure rooms work. So isolate. Interestingly, uh, the researchers went further and swabbed the vents. They found COVID-19 in the vents. So uh, it sits uh, on these surfaces. They also uh, tried to find the hotspots to see where uh, the bug tends to live. And it was almost exclusively on all of the fomite uh, areas. So for example, the cardiac the be- cardiac bedside table, the rails, the lockers, the chairs, the light switches, the doorknobs, the glass in the room. It's not new to us. We know that it 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 can land like that and that's how most infections occur. One thing our listeners should take home is that this information is rapidly evolving. And what this research letter has suggested is that there may be transition through uh, fecal matter or through uh, gastro. And this was found in one, uh, one patient uh, in this paper um, that found the uh, COVID-19 was in the toilet bowl. And this is a, inconsistent with some emerging literature from Italy that a lot of the gastro-like symptoms with no respiratory are, um, are the vectors that we, we've been missing. Okay, the last take the last hypothesis generating piece from this 
uh, research letter in JAMA is about PPE. Now, Rob, are you ready to have your mind blown? Ready, waiting, ready. So I want to remind the listener that what they did was uh, these patients were in a room um, with COVID confirmed COVID-19. It was negative pressure. And the researchers went and swabbed sites. Okay. So they swabbed the staff PPE. And what they found was on the upper front part of the gown, they couldn't detect COVID-19. On the lower front part of the gown, they couldn't detect COVID-19. On the visor mask, they couldn't detect it. On the surface of the N95, they couldn't uh, detect it either. On half, found it on the front of their shoes. That's really interesting, huh? Let me be clear. This is hypothesis generating only, and the N is two. We can't make sweeping generalizations from this research letter, but just know that the fomite transmission may be something that we uh, that we need to be adding into our active thinking process. Okay, perfect. So I think that's a good summary of where things are at. As of at least today, March 21st at 2.30 Pacific time, who knows at 3.30 Pacific time what that's going to look like, but um, we'll find out. Thanks so much for, for listening in with us at uh, Recess Tonight. Again, take care of yourself, take care of your team out there, and, um, you know, be well. We'll talk to you next time.